Good morning. Turn your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians 1. We're going to be verse 26. Chapter 1, verse 26. We'll go to the end of the chapter. That's five verses. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. So I want you to go back in your mind, those of you who are adults, I want you to go back into your mind, into a place where you are an elementary school student, maybe you're in second grade, third grade, okay, you got that in your mind, and you're on the playground at your elementary school, and so the the recess bell has rung, you have gone full throttle out into the playground, and you have um, you have gathered around as a group of boys and girls. In my case, it was just boys because evidently there was gender segregation in second and third grade in my school. I, that's not true. Like we chose not to play with each other because girls are gross. But but so but that's where you are in your mind. And in that moment, two people have raised up to the top to be team captains. All right. So and there so there are now two people out of that group who are team captains, and the game that is on the field today is kickball. And so you're going to play kickball, and there are now two team captains. And in that moment, the captains begin to choose their players for their team, and they alternate. In fact, they've probably flipped a coin or something like that to determine who's going to be the first person to make the first pick in the draft for this kickball team. Now, why were you picked? In that moment, when were you picked in that draft? Think about that experience, right? Because some people will pick their friends out of a sense of loyalty. But for the most part, more often than not, you are picked in a, for a kickball team. You are picked in order of your perceived ability to contribute to victory, right? So if you go first right out of the gate... The assumption is that you are the best possible hope for that team to win kickball, either for your offense or defense or both. So the captain, who may or may not be any good himself or herself, chooses who she thinks is the best possible option to win for their team. Maybe it's the knowledge of their game. Maybe it's their ability to strategize. Maybe it's their skills. Maybe it's to get on their good side later for something else involved in second grade. All the reasons vary, but they boil down to the perceived ability to win. Which is to say, no team captain worth his salt would choose the least capable person available if they wanted to win the game. Right? That's just wisdom. You know? That's just common sense. Who picks the worst player in hopes of actually winning the game. On our passage today, we are going to see that the Lord did no such thing when it came to building his church. When the Lord builds his church, by and large, what we find is that the people who respond to the gospel and join the ranks of the church are not, in the world's eyes, they are not wise in the world's standards. They are not glamorous by the world's standards. They are not gifted necessarily by the world's standard. In the eyes of the world, the church is full of fourth-round picks, fifth-round picks, sixth-round picks, all the way down to the bottom. 
Wasn't it just great to be that last guy or girl picked for kickball, by the way? Or is that just my experience? Like, just, it's, but when it comes to the church, I want to show you in this text, God was, has stacked the church for a great reason with fourth round picks. Okay, let's look at the text today. Stand with me. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many of were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. God. You may be seated. So the first thing I want you to do today is what Paul says we should do. It's right out of verse 26. It is consider your calling. Brothers and sisters, I want you first today to consider your calling. Now, if you're a language nerd, there maybe there are a couple of those in here. I know I am. This is a curious little phrase. Consider your calling. Because this word consider is more commonly used to refer is to see. It's to look at. It is to see with your own eyes. But it's just used in a different context. So what Paul is trying to get the church to do, and he wants what you and I to do, he wants us to pause on our assumptions, pause on this thing we're calling church, pause on this thing called our Christian life, and he wants us to look at it from various angles, really process what it is that you see He wants us to pause and consider. He wants us to look at it carefully, intentionally, strategically, really analyze what it is that's right in front of us. Because oftentimes what we do is we get, uh, we we have some assumptions like, yeah, 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 I'm saved. Yeah, 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 I understand I'm a Christian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we want to move on from there. And Paul says, no, if you do keep going doing that without taking the time to pause, without taking time to reflect, without taking time to study, your calling your calling, if you don't do that, you will miss something. Now, but what is, he, what is calling? What does calling mean? Well, if you go back in chapter 1, you can get a strong idea about what calling actually is. In verse 2, chapter 1, Paul refers to the Corinthians as called saints. In verse 9, he reminds the Corinthians that God called them into the fellowship of the church. In verse 24, Paul equates the calling with understanding about who Jesus really is. So in all of these instances, calling in this text is a reference to God's choosing the members of his church. Not that the Corinthians aren't responsible human beings for their choices, but Paul wants them in this moment to summon before their mind. This is really important. Don't miss this. Paul wants them to summon before their mind what God did in that salvation moment. This is one of those rare times in the text where any author, Paul in particular, calls us to reflect back on that time in history, that moment in history in your testimony where you became a Christian. 
And when he does it here, he doesn't want us to reflect on our active choice. He wants us to reflect on God's sovereign choice. We are to consider our calling. It's God bringing us out of darkness into light. And if all of us did that individually, right here in this room, if we took the time to do that, we would notice about Blackman Baptist Church the same thing that Paul noticed about the Corinthians. Namely, that what God did was choose people that the world would never choose to be a part of the institution that is changing and has changed the world. Look at verse 26. Paul says, if you will consider your calling, you will find this. Not many were wise from a human perspective, Not many powerful, not many of noble birth. So Paul says here that when one looks at the worldly standards for wisdom and the worldly standards for power and the worldly standards for uh, what is socially important or, or influential by human standards, if you look at all of those things and then you compare and contrast those standards with the people who made up the Corinthian church, you would find that not many met those standards. The world would not be impressed with the body of 1 Corinthian church. Now, he didn't say not any. He said not many, which is to say that most of the church members by human standards weren't wise. They weren't powerful by human standards. They weren't influential by human standards. And I dare say that if we all took the time to reflect on our calling and shared our stories, we could analyze them And come to the same conclusion. There are some, but not most, of the members of any given church. They're not wise in the eyes of the world. They're not powerful in the eyes of the world, according to their standard. They're not influential. There are some, but not many. I want you to understand how important this is. That you consider your calling and come to the conclusion of the corporate body, this body, and the church at large, but this one in particular, that that we consider our calling and come to this conclusion that not many of us meet the world's standards for wisdom, power, and influence. Because if we do that, this means that unity in the church is grounded not in a skill set that any group of us have, not in the wealth that any group of us have, not in the knowledge that any group of us have. It's rooted in humility that none of us have what it takes. It's rooted in the gospel. This means that being wise or being influential or being born in the one percentile of America, none of those things are criterion for being right with God. This means that God's grace can reach anyone but being wise or influential or wealthy according to the world's standard doesn't give you an advantage in the church. None of those things make you more likely to get picked by the captain of the team. None of those things make you more likely to get preferential treatment within the church either. D.A. Carson wrote this really influential book in my life called The Cross and Christian Ministry. And he brings this point home 
quite strongly. Listen to this paragraph. He says, why is it that we constantly parade Christian athletes, media personalities, and pop singers? Why should we think that their opinions or their experiences of grace are any more significant than those of any other believer? When we tell outsiders about people in our church, do we instantly think of the despised and the lowly who have become Christians? Or do we love to impress the outsiders with people who, in our church who are important, with men and women who become Christians? Modern Western evangelicalism is infected with the virus of triumphalism and the resulting illness destroys humility, minimizes grace, offers far too much homage to the money and influence and wisdom of our day. We would be wise to heed Paul's command here to consider our calling. Because if we do so, we will see that the church isn't made up of people who somehow earned their position because of some worldly standard. We will unite the church on the gospel and the standard of Jesus Christ who lived, died, and rose again for the church. Now, how can this be so? What is the fundamental reason why the church is predominantly made up of people that don't meet certain standards in the world? Why is that the case? The answer is in verse 27 and 28. And it's this. God has picked his team this way on purpose. He's done it on purpose. That's the reason why we are the makeup that we are. Look at verse 27, 28. Paul says... God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. The fundamental reason why we aren't more worldly bigwigs in this church is not because they in our pride find the cross to be foolish and reject him of their own will. It is because God in his perfect and sovereign choice has chosen nincompoops to be in the church. That's what he's chosen. And he's doing it. He is showing us yet again how much he delights in confounding the world and turning its values on their heads. What Sam was talking about in Sunday school this morning. God chose Abraham, a decrepit, childless Iranian and made him the founder of the faith. God chose Moses, a murderer and a cowardice, and made him the leader of God's people in the Exodus. God chose Rahab, a foreigner and a prostitute, and made her an instrument whereby Jericho would fall. God chose David, short of stature by even Jewish standards and an adulterer, and made him the standard of Israel's kings. And on and on and on we could go time again, example after example of God choosing the world, those in the world, those in the world that the world sees simple, He chooses them instead of someone else. He chooses them. God choosing those in the world that the world sees as poor, He chooses them. He chooses them. He chooses those that the world sees as nobodies instead of those that the world sees as somebodies. Time and again, God writes off all the things that this world sees as important. He writes them off as having no eternal significance whatsoever. So what is the reason why that the church is made up of people who don't meet the world's standards for awesomeness? God has drafted this team on purpose. 
It's his strategy. It's his strategy. And why is this his strategy? Who would do it that way? I mean, if you were building a church, wouldn't you want to find like the best possible group of elders ever by the worldly standards, right? I mean, wouldn't you just want to go after the person with all of the influence, all of the knowledge, all of the money to help seed the thing, like just really go for it? I mean, if you wanted, if, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you want to draft? I mean, are you going to do a mock draft for the NFL this year? I've been toying with whether or not I should do this. Lots of people do this at work. I, I kind of like the NFL. Oh, like I really like the NFL. But you know, coronavirus has like kind of recalibrated the things that I really pay attention to. So I'm thinking like maybe I'll pay attention this year. Maybe I'll do like a, a mock draft. And if I'm going to do that, I'm going to pick certain winners based on their, their ability to run a 40-yard dash and on and on and on it goes. Who would pick a football team full of the bad news bears? You know, like who would, who would do that? That is what God has done. That's what he's done for the church. Not many of you brothers meet the standards for wisdom, for knowledge, for influence, for power. The world is not impressed with anybody in this room. Why would he do that? Verse 29. So that no one may boast in his presence. God has done this so that no one may boast in His presence. God's picked His team this way because He is on a mission to shatter human pride and unite the church through humility. If God gave out forgiveness, if God gave out eternal life on the basis of a formula related to your education related to a skill set, related to wealth, then many who came to know Christ along the lines of those things would have a reason to boast in their relationship with Christ along those lines. Well, why did Jesus pick you? Well, he picked me because I have all this money. Well, why did Jesus pick you? Well, I mean, look how smart and intelligent I am. Well, why did Jesus pick you? And on and on and on you could go. But nobody in this room can do that because God didn't look at any of those things when he formed his team. He formed his team according to his sovereign grace. He's formed his team according to love. He formed his team not upon any condition that the world would put on a human being to be accepted into his body. He is forming his team along completely different lines so that he can shame all those standards and declare them eternally insignificant. Consider your calling. Think about it. God is drafting a church team that no human being in his right mind would ever form. And he's doing it this way so that no one on the team will boast about being on his team. No one will boast about why they're on that team. It's not anything of my own doing or of yours. He's not impressed. He just loves me. But you do get to brag. You do get to boast. Look at verse 30. It is from Him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us. Our righteousness, our sanctification, redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see, the reason human boasting is so terrible is because it elevates us to make us the most important. It puffs us up. It shows the world that the most important thing to us is us and whatever we can get in this world that affirms us. 
But the gospel coming to Jesus does away with all of that. Look at the verses. Look at verse 31, 30 and 31. Paul says, it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus. It's not because of me that I'm in Christ Jesus. It is a gift from him. Jesus is our righteousness. My own effort is not my righteousness. Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus is our sanctification. I am not becoming more like Jesus because of the strength of my own effort or the skill set of my own effort or because of the works that I do. I'm becoming more like Jesus because I am thinking and considering my calling that Jesus brought me into his fold. Jesus is our redemption. I am not saved because I did something to earn God reaching out and grabbing me. I am saved because he rescued me. It's his effort, not mine. There is no self-boasting in the gospel because we don't have anything to bring to the game worth boasting about. Are you following? Are you following? (laughs) It's a really important question. Okay. Okay. So there's no self-boasting. But because God has placed us in Christ, because Jesus is your righteousness, because Jesus is your sanctification, because Jesus is your redemption, you get to boast. You just don't get to boast about yourself. You get to boast about Him, what He did, who He is, and what He has done. Let the one who boasts, you want to brag, go for it about Him. Because he did it. So Blackman Baptist Church, consider your calling. Consider your calling. God is drafting a church team that no human being in his right mind would ever form. And he is doing it this way so that no one on his team will boast about why they in their awesomeness are on that team. Instead, they will boast in Christ alone. Let's be a church that considers our calling. And if you are not a Christian, and you're exhausted from trying to live up to and be accepted by the world's standard, God is building a team that you are going to love. Give your life to the team captain who gave his life for you. Let's pray together. Father, we want to pause today to consider our calling. It's a different circumstances for everybody in this room. Maybe some similarities, but there are certainly some circumstances that are probably similar uh, and different. But we want to just pause this, this morning and consider our calling. I was 10. Some people were 3. Some people were 50. Whatever those moments were, we pause this morning and we consider our calling. We did not come to you because we were wise. We did not come to you because we earned it in some way. We came to you because you called us out of darkness and into light, and we believed. Now, for sure, by the world's standards, Lord, there are some in this room who are super sharp, wealthy, influential, knowledgeable, 
by any standard, including the world's. And you have called them to, and you have called them through the same means that you've called people who aren't wise by the world's standards, aren't influential by the world's standards. Whether we have or meet those standards or not, that doesn't apply in the team that you were building. What matters is that you have sent your son who is our righteousness, who is our sanctification, he is our redemption. And it's him, as we consider our calling, we brag about this morning. It's him we worship, it's him we boast. So we pray, Lord, that we will live in constant consideration of our calling and that by doing so, we'll be united as a church. We'll demonstrate that humility to the world, that Jesus will be our rock, our foundation, our center, and our brag and our boast. Thank you, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.